Uh, we've been, um, we've been, oh, the last six weeks or so, we've been talking. Um, Mike has been preaching and uh, Casey and Ben on the uh, <coughs> Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we see that in starting with chapter 5 through 7 of Matthew. And so we'll be spending our time there today. And uh, I've really enjoyed this. Um, I've never, uh, I've never been one to, well, I'm usually in Paul's letters and things like that. So I don't spend a lot of time in the Gospels. And I think, like most of us, we get reciprocal. We study this for a while, and I'll be in the Old Testament for a while. But this has really kind of just really uh, pricked my interest in so many things that Jesus has said. And I think some of them are taken out of context, and Mike has, has, has done very well, and Casey and Ben, all of what, he, what he's really telling us. And, you know, if we look back and see the situation and how this whole thing started, uh, you know, they were living uh, at that time under great oppression. And Mike was talking about that last week, how the Romans uh, really regarded the Jews as just uh, a very low form of people. It was almost like the Nazis treated them back, you know, just, you know, previous to, to Second World War. And so they were second-class citizens, and they treated them that way. There was a corrupt government. They, their own people, the Jewish people, were, were corrupt towards each other. There were tax collectors and all kinds of things. And there was a distinct classes of people and culture and religious beliefs. So this is what was swimming around at that time. And not only that, but in about 40 years, there's going to be a huge uprising. You remember when Jesus said there's going to be a day when this temple, they were looking at the temple and how magnificent it was and how it took so long to build and all this. And what had happened, and Jesus predicted this, is this temple is going to be down, flat. There's not going to be one rock on top of another. And that's exactly what happened in 70 A.D. because the turmoil was so intense. And finally the Jews says, we're getting out of here. We're uprising. And it sl they slaughtered them by the thousands. And from that time on, they were dispersed throughout the world. And they never got their nation back until, was it, May sometime of 1948. So, I mean, this was a time of huge up upheaval. It was just <clears throat> not content and everything. The Jews, uh, the, the children of Israel had lost their priority in the world, if you will. They were God's people. They had the oracles of God. They had God uh, as their father uh, covering them and everything. But they rebelled. They went after other idols, and this put them in that situation. So this is kind of what we have been looking back at, uh, and this whole thing is coming up, and now we see how they're living. Now, if we look in Matthew 4, 12, 17, if you want to put that up there, guys. <clears throat> in Matthew 12, it says, And now when he had heard that John had been taken into custody, that's John the Baptist, he withdrew into Galilee. We're talking about Jesus now. He was leaving Nazareth. He came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Verse 14 says, now, we've got to remember, this is 700 years. This was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was on the earth. So what he's doing, and he, this is what he says, 
This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying, the, Z- the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, and that's right where they were, and that's where he was standing saying this. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and to those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. And from that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was that great light. Behold, there is a light now for the whole world. He was that light. His saying was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent means to change your mind. Start thinking differently. To do a paradigm shift in how you think. Because this is new. You've never seen this before. You're about to see something happen that is going to send freedom to all people. And that brings us up to uh, speaking to the crowd. And Mike had covered a lot of this, but I'm just gonna—I'm just gonna run through this a little bit. He—he uh, he had so many people following him because of all the healings. In fact, I'm gonna go back to verse 23 of chapter four. And Jesus was going about all in Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. He wasn't giving anybody sickness; he was taking it away. I love that. And the news about him went out into all of Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, taken with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them all. And great multitudes followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea from beyond the Jordan. And so what he had to do, he had to climb a mountain so he could have a good pulpit to speak from. And this is where we're going, moving on in chapter 5. <coughs> And we look at, you know, and Mike covered some of this uh, very well, as with uh, Ben and Casey. But I want to just, I want you to think a little bit of a different look at these Beatitudes. Because what we don't want to get into is, okay, uh, we know that the law is not going to be in effect anymore because the law just showed us our sin. So this is a new set of laws that Jesus has. This is our New Testament laws. We've got to remember there's no cross yet. There has been no redemption. All the, all the things, anything done to redeem your sins was done by, by blood animal sacrifice. So there's been no change. So he's starting to talk to them, and he starts out like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, I, just think about this for a minute. I've always had trouble. I've always, I've always had trouble with poor in spirit. And I've always had trouble with the next one, mourning. You know, if we want to be blessed, let's be poor in spirit all day and mourn all day. Just think this over a little bit. So I think what he's doing, he's talking to a bunch of people, and he is telling them the state that they're in. And these are what some of them are like. Some of them are poor in spirit. Some of them are mourning. Some of them are gentle. Some of them are are hungry for thirst uh, righteousness. Some of them are merciful. Some of them are pure in heart. Some of them are peacemakers. And some are, are going to be persecuted. I think he was saying this prophetically and saying this is, going to, this is what we have out here and this is what's going to happen. And he goes on to say you guys are the salt of the earth. Uh, Casey told us to be old salts. When I was in the Navy, you know, an old salt was kind of ornery. But she kind of cleared that up for us. Salt is, in a person, is sweet. You can be 
do sweet things if you're salty. And so he's speaking to all these people just like he would stand here today and he would say, if you're mourning and if you're poor in spirit and if you have overwhelming sin in your life, if you're hooked on drugs, if you're a hard drinker, if you're uh, deep into pornography, if you're homosexual, if you're any of them, you're going to be blessed at what is coming down. Because I am going through the cross. Now, they didn't know this, and they wouldn't have understood this because the disciples didn't even understood it, and they witnessed it. And when after Jesus died, and they were in the upper room, they were in mourning. They said, oh, what's going to happen to us? I, I, he told us all these things. They didn't even understand that yet. So he, he couldn't, to tell this people at this time, they wouldn't understand it. But he can tell them this. He can tell them, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. Because this is going to be for everybody. You know, and back then a cross doesn't mean what it means to us today. You know, we can wear a cross around our neck. We can put tattoos on us, uh, crosses. We can have them on our, uh, our, our cars and stuff like that. That wasn't a thing of decoration back then. That was death, and it was a horrible death. You did not decorate your house with a cross. And so they didn't understand that. They wouldn't know that yet. But we can see it. You know, we, we put up this cross here a number of years ago, and it was kind of interesting how it all went. Uh, originally, we were going to put it over there. And then we set that up over there. So it ended up here. And I asked Glenn Larson. I said, Glenn and Karen were building their house, and they, they were doing all kinds of lumber cutting and stuff like that. Where can I get some, some uh, timbers to make a cross? And he told me it was a guy up by Minnesota. I forget his name now. So I went and got it, and then I got a hold of Brad Sunquist. And Brad, he, in our machine shed, he, he cut out the sizes and stuff like that. And we kind of talked, well, how, okay, how big should this cross be? So we finally decided on a size. And then we put it together... And if you'll, if you'll ever notice, um, there's a spike here, and there's a spike there, and there's a spike there, you know, symbolizing the, the spikes that he had driven through him. And when we were re researching that, sometimes the crucifixions were where they put their feet on either side of the beam, and then they drove a nail through the sides. So, I mean, that was, you know, some of the things you thought about, but... I had that in my machine shed, and so I thought, okay, how big should that cross, or how, where should I put the spikes? So I laid on the cross. You can see this coming, can't you? So I laid on the cross, and I thought, okay, I think Jesus was a little taller than me, but he wasn't too tall. I mean, he wasn't as tall as, as say, Dylan, but he was probably taller than me. So... I kind of put my arms out, and I put my feet out, and I, uh, I almost shouldn't talk about this, because I, um, and I put my arms and feet out, and I figured, okay, this is about where they'd be, and then I got just reminded of that verse, that that was me on there, I, I, I put me on there, Jim, he put you on there, you were on there too, he put us all on that cross when he did it. 
the propitiation, the, sac the, the death that he died was for every one of us. And so <laughs> when I got off the cross, doesn't that sound cool? When I got off the cross, but when I, when I did, I, I, I just had to just kind of gather myself because that was just, it just hit me so deeply. So that cross was not evident to them when Jesus was speaking to them. And so when we look at all these words that we see in the, uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, I think a lot of them are prophetically. We need to hold that in our minds that there, there are prophetic and things about to come. And what he said, I like what Mike said, they're still clear. He likes things black and white. They're very clear on what he looks for in people. And so that we can't, you know, we can't deny that. That's, that's wonderful. So what I want to do, uh, Mike has been moving around a little bit in the, in the uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount, as with Casey and Ben. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to chapter 7. And there's a couple of verses here that... Uh, a lot of times we've wrestled with, I know I certainly have, uh, they can be very dark and foreboding if we don't understand what, they're, what Jesus is talking about here. And so let's go to verse 13, chapter 7, verse 13. If you want to put that up there. It says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those that find it. <clears throat> Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, and you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles are they. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, and bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce fruit, good fruit, nor a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and, and thrown down in the fire. And so you'll know them by their fruits. Now, the narrow gate has scared a lot of us. Uh, I, I've probably said it myself, and some of you have probably said, well, you know, you've got to walk the straight and narrow. You know, narrow is that way, and, and, and it's a small, tiny gate. Well, let's first be reminded that there is a gate. It isn't like there's no gate. You know, it isn't like, okay, the path to destruction is wide, and everybody's going there. No, there is a gate. But, you know, that gate is how Jesus said it was difficult to find it. So... We're looking at a time when, there, again, no cross. And the Jews were trying to get righteousness by their good works. They were trying to gain righteousness by being squeaky clean. And they weren't good. In fact, they added more laws, and Jesus was so upset with them that he attacked them so many times. If he, if he got after anybody, it was the extreme self-righteous. And so they looked at the narrow gate, and they thought they had it. In fact, uh, they were told that they were under bondage. And they said, we're not under bondage to anybody. Well, they were under supreme bondage and didn't know it. Because the law was not going to relieve them from their sins. In fact, it showed them their sin. 
Well, I think if we look further on, we see that just for a minute, he's talking about enter by the narrow gate. So we can take that and say, okay, there's a gate. We can take that gate. And then he goes on. I think we can look at it real easily and say, we got sheep and goats here. Or we got sheep and ravenous wolves. I'll put it that way. The sheep are going to enter by the gate. But the wolves, now the ravenous wolves, are the false prophets. And it's almost like they're standing by the narrow gate, and they're like extortioners or bouncers. And so when, when we walk up to the narrow gate, they're going to say things like, you can't come in here. You're a sinner. You can't come in here. You've been a drug addict. You can't come in here. You're a homosexual. You can't come in here. You're deep into porn. And see, they'll lay up all the rules to not enter the gate. So it can be very difficult. But thankfully, here's what it says in John 10, 9 through 11. You want to put that up? Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good sheep lays his life down for the sheep. He told that to the multitudes, but they didn't understand that either. But he said it prophetically, and it went to work for them and for us after the cross, after he was after his death, burial, and resurrection. So if you can place yourself in going into the gate, Jesus is the gate. That should clear that verse, those verses up pretty good. You know, when I was in the Navy, um, then I, I volunteered for uh, submarines. And for the last three years I was in the Navy, I was in submarines. And so I took all the battery of tests. They got all kinds of tests they give you because they don't want you going down a submarine and freaking out or nothing like that and, you know, get me back up, you know. Um, so you can't have a claustrophobia. They'll check you out real quick for that. And, of course, they check your, your, uh, uh, your basically health and mental aptitude and things like that. So then they said, well, now, you know, you could qualify for UDT. Or you could qualify for, uh, just an old term, but a frogman. Frogman, I don't think they even say that anymore. But it's like the, the uh, Army Ranger, you know, uh, tough guys, you know. So they said, you, you, can, quali- you, you can come to our uh, assembly, and, you know, they, all, you know, they said, you can uh, listen to our, our presentations. So there was a room of about 350 guys, and they... I remember the instructor said, and he kind of went through it while the whole thing was about a 13-week training course, and it just, it's just its terrible. I mean, it's just really, really rough. And he said there's probably two or three out of you here that are going to make it, out of about 350 people. And that reminded me of this verse, that only a few are going to make it. See, the extortioners, they want to say that. There's only a few of you who are going to make it. Well, you know, in Revelation it talks about there's going to be thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands 
that are going to be wearing white robes, bathed in his righteousness, simply because of what he did for us. In, pro in, in proportion, in proportion to the saved or the unsaved, I think there is a huge difference between how many the number are that are saved versus unsaved. And the next verse we'll talk about kind of alludes to that. <coughs> we can read on here in Luke, or, or excuse me, uh, Matthew 7, uh, verse 21, and I'll read through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Ooh. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to you, to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. My wife hates when I do that. Has that ever bothered anybody? It's been brought up a lot. <clears throat> well, who is he speaking to and who is he speaking about? I think we can unequivocally say unbelievers. And I can tell you why. Because he, sa uh, he says to them that you, uh, <clears throat> well, first of all, let me, let me just go back here a little bit. Number one, I think they're lying. There's about three reasons here. I think the first one is they're lying. Because they are at a day, it says, on that day, and I think that's going to be the day of judgment, on that day is going to be, I, we can all in our mind's eye see what that's going to be, but I think there is going, for those that know, they're not going to make it and live with in eternity with the Lord. I think there's going to be panic. I think there's going to be desperation. I think there is going to be absolute uh, fear. And I think you'll say anything. And then they'll say, hey, well, we cast out devils in your name, and, and, and we heal the sick in your name, and, and we provided, we did many miracles. He says, I never knew you. You know, Glenn and, I, Glenn and I, Glenn Larson, I used to talk about this, you know, this verse, and we'd say, well, that'd be like if Glenn and Karen had uh, an appreciation day. Uh, they had their business X number of years, and so they're going to give just an appreciation dinner. They're going to have refreshments and maybe door prizes and things like that, and it's going to be really quite, a, quite an event. So <coughs> they put it out and advertise it. People come. And Glenn walks around and says, hi, what's your name? So and, so. and Glenn says, uh, no, I, well, um, why are you here? Well, you, you, you know, it, because this was a big event. You really wanted to be there. And he, I said, well, you pumped my septic tank. And Glenn says, well, what's your name? I told him. He says, no, I didn't pump your septic tank. We've never been on your place. I don't know you. 
So I think, I think number one, they're going to lie. I think, I think the panic that's going to be there, they'll say anything to not go to that other place. In fact, let's look at Luke uh, 13, uh, verses 20, 22 through 29. And Luke's version is just, it's just a little bit different. And he was passing through from one city in the village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are going to be saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able to. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up to us. And then he will answer and say to you, I do not know who you are, where you're from, and then he will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. And then he says, go to that place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Almost a little more drastic. He, not, he just doesn't say just depart from me. He says, go to that place where there's gnashing of teeth and, and there's weeping and everything like that. So, <clears throat> speaking to unbelievers... Number two, they're deceived. They're hugely deceived. And, you, and they, they, they vindicate that with their own mouth because they say, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name call out demons <coughs> and, 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 and perform many miracles? <coughs> How many of us are going to get to heaven by our works? How many of us are going to get to heaven because we taught Sunday school for 25 years? How many of us are going to get to heaven because we don't smoke? How many of us are going to get to heaven because we don't kill anybody? Or we gossip? We stop that. Or we don't lie? None of us. Not one. Not one. Not one of us will get there by doing that. But they thought they could. They thought they could get there by what they did. They were totally deceived because how many of us know that we get into the Lord's presence forever because of the blood of Jesus and trusting in him, totally in him, and not our works? That's what the, that's what the Pharisees had, and Jesus attacked that all the time. They were so squeaky clean, and they wanted to let the world know about it, when they gave an alm or offering, they, they, you know, they went back to that box. They say, I'm now giving my $1,000 that I give every week to this church. And plop, you know, hope somebody hears them. Or they'll pray, they'll pray mighty prayers on, on the street corners and stuff like that. And we'll say, whoa, there's a holy one. He's going to heaven for sure. No, not really. We enter very humbly and we enter... Only by the blood of Jesus and trusting in what he did. Number three. They weren't doing the Father's will. Because the Lord says here, not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What is our Father's will? Let's look at John 6, verses 35 through 40. 
And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise him up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him on that last day. That's the will they weren't abiding by when they declared that they could get, uh, get through on their good works. So they were not doing the will of the Father. <clears throat> we see something that kind of screams out in these last verses, and it says relationship. Relationship. And relationship starts with trusting. If you can trust someone and believe in some, someone, you will have relationship with that person. And this person is Jesus, and this person has opened up windows of heaven for us, and that narrow gate is him. And the, the reason the gate is narrow, because at that time, there was no there, there was few that found it. There was few. Now it's open through the cross, through the blood, to he who believes. And he starts doing the will of the Father. I want to close this with uh, the latter part here of chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. And what Jesus does, he gives a mental picture of salvation and being lost. And Jesus was always so good at using natural things like soil, uh, plants, uh, animals, doors, gates, and things to illustrate his storytelling, to illustrate salvation. You know, so many times uh, he says throughout uh, throughout the uh, Beatitude or, or throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you have heard it said. Not you have, you have read this because the reading wasn't, the reading, most reading then was done publicly. So, and you didn't just run off a copy of something. Anything, anytime you read something in your hand, somebody hand wrote it. So that's why a lot of these things were passed down because you have heard it said. But now, Jesus gives us, again, a mental picture of salvation and being lost. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts in them may be compared to a wise man who built his house in the rock. And the rain fell, and floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was his fall. The Lord has given us a very clear picture of him being the rock and him being the one to build our salvation on, because it all starts with him. We see what he says there. He said, There's two things he tells us to do. To hear and act. 
you can't believe in anything if you don't hear it. And when we hear it, and we hear the word of God, and we hear the gospel that is a free gift to all of us, we then can download that in their heart, and we can act. And what act means is you start to build, you start to fashion, you start to construct, you start to uh, inquire. Your mind starts to change. Romans 12, chapter 12, renew your mind with the word of God. You know, this isn't an overnight thing, you know. Some of us have been, you know, here for quite a while. Some of us are, are a little bit new. But we can see through each other's lives how we grow and how we fashion this action, if you will, of letting Christ uh, dictate our lives, if you will. Let him in every part of our life and changes us because the Bible says that he who began a good work in us will finish it. He also said it is him, uh, or it is God that wills to do his perfect will inside of us. So that's terrific news, that we can hear and we can act. We can believe and we can act. It's a natural occurrence, believing and acting. Instead of taking that and turning it around like those he was speaking to, the unbelievers, and say, yeah, but didn't we do this? I don't think the Lord's interested in that. Not until you take the first step and believe and believe that he died, was buried, resurrected, resurrected, and that took care of all our sins, past, present, future. It's a free gift. It's absolutely free. That ought to set us free. That ought to set us free from striving, slaving, whatever it takes to get there. Because the cross has already provided that for us. I'd like everyone this morning, if you want to, if you're able, just stand. And we'll just finish the service. And I'll pray. And what I'd like you to do, we did this, I think last year we did this in uh, adult Bible class. You don't have to. I, I'm just something I'm suggesting. But take your hands like this. And you open your hands. And I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, with these hands, they're open and upturned to you. Lord, we're acknowledging that we cannot save ourselves. Lord, we're acknowledging this wonderful free gift of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ and his wonderful act. Lord, today, as I pray this, I pray that the hearts that are having trouble, the hearts that the enemy has lied to, the hearts that the enemy has attacked and told them they're not worthy, Lord, I ask today that they be freed and know that their sins have been paid for. They have been accepted. They are being received into the kingdom of heaven today. Thank you, Lord, that we stand today in this grace. We stand today in this joy, in this truth that sets us free. 
Father, we glorify you today. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.